This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. No credentials. Stone Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us once again on the Sound Logic Podcast, where today we're discussing album number 68 on Rolling Stone Magazine's top 500 greatest album list. This is Hounds of Love by Kate Bush. Every once in a while, you discover a kindred spirit for a reason you never thought possible. And uh, we've got a guest with us tonight that kind of falls into that category. Another person who uh, also likes long, lengthy countdowns uh, with little purpose other than to be reflecting on music. Um, We are excited to welcome back Brad Efford. Brad is a... uh, two-time returning guest. This is his third time on the podcast, and uh, we're really excited to have him here. I think perhaps we were saying off mic our first uh, three-peat. He was on originally as we talked about uh, Captain Beefheart's trout trout mask replica all the way back when we were still going through actually our final album review on the 2012 list. Uh, Cryptically during that recording i think brad even mentioned that a new list might come out sometime soon and sure enough uh we got a new list and brad was kind enough to come on and talk about that with us when we kind of relaunched starting at album number one from the 2020 list we've rolled all the way along now to uh the 68th episode on this 2020 list and um we're really excited to have brad here with us yeah thank you I I didn't even say the most important part, and that is the project that you worked on, um, the RS500 project, for those who are just joining us who didn't hear him talk about it last time, was this um, journey uh, through the Rolling Stone 2012 list, but in essay form. Uh, Brad uh, kind of edited and compiled uh, 500 essays on all the albums on that list and drawing in friends and other writers and um, a really fantastic and spectacular project that we will often reference, especially when we get to an album where we just don't know where to start. Um, so at least two of us are still checking that out, even even years after its completion. Yeah. Um, so thanks for putting that out in the world, Brad, and thanks so much for being back on the podcast with us. Yeah, I do think it gives a starting point for any of those albums, if nothing else. Like it, it gives a jumping off point, whether it's, nonfiction or fiction that's attached to that album in <laughs> yeah. that project um but i was going to say too that i'm not i'm not convinced that trout mask replica counts as one of my appearances because that was the old show and also <laughs> that's not even on the list anymore <laughs> so it's like they, they kind of swapped these two albums because hounds of love was never on the list and now is yeah. And Trot Mask was always on the list and now is not. Um, and they're almost <laughs> in the same position on the album, too. So it's almost like they 
swapped it. Um, but yeah, Hounds of Love is my favorite album of all time. So I, I really appreciate you sort of reaching out to me for this. I think I staked claim on it early on a while ago. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm excited to be here and talk about it. It was during that that review of the new list that you mentioned that mm-hmm. almost offhandedly oh and Kate Bush is here and I'm so excited because that's my favorite album and I kind of stored it away in my brain and as we got mm-hmm. to this group of 60 I said to Ben well don't forget Brad wants to be on for that one <laughs> and, oh yeah wow that's so nice <laughs> so uh, I've, I've actually kind of been looking forward to it and one of the reasons we'll get that I've been looking forward to it is I am not familiar with yeah. Kate with this artist at all which is funny reading and listening to it and, and what a an impact she made uh, as a musician and with this album in particular it's like for me it just it never crossed my path so to hear you say that and then to listen to it that's exciting for me so um, without further ado I think we should get right into it we're going to get into some details uh, which I think will spark some conversation and then we'll We've got a lot of questions, I think, lined up for Brad on why you love this album. So here we go. Mm-hmm. Details, 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 details. Uh, Hounds of Love was released 16th of September, 1985. Uh, we were very, very young, or perhaps not even here yet. Um, uh, <laughs> I did not exist. No, Brad was had not had yet. Had I existed... Had I existed, I would have loved it. Yes. <laughs> uh, and this was her fifth studio album. Um, she wrote all the tracks, except for the Gregorian traditional choral in Hello Earth. Uh, for those who would pick up that traditional choral. Um, this album did differently on either sides of the pond. It went. She's from the UK. It went to number one in the UK. Uh, but only went to number 30 in the U.S. Still made the charts, but didn't quite get up to the top spot. Um, it sold to date around 2 million copies worldwide. Half of that's in the U.K. It's certified a million in the U.K. Um, she released four singles off this album. Running Up That Hill, A Deal With God, that was the lead single, and then Cloud Busting, Hounds of Love, and The Big Sky. All on the first side side a and side b is a bit more of a concept Uh, we'll get into that maybe a little later um the album was nominated at the 1986 brit awards for best best british album uh and she was also nominated for best british female and nominated for best british single for running up that hill um as i mentioned the the album was produced as two suites side one was hounds of love which contains uh all four singles and side two was a seven track concept piece called the ninth wave. So it kind of, and you get kind of get the feeling of those two different sides. And many people describe this album as post progressive. And another thing I read said uh, prog pop instead of prog rock, you get mm. prog pop. I read that term, which I'd never heard before because uh, Kate Bush voices themes of love and womanly passion rather than the usual male viewpoints associated with, progressive rock so it's a little that softer feminine side so that's that's some of the notes i have on the production of the album did you guys have anything else to add to that i think this is a good spot for my very first question uh for brad oh boy go for it (laughs) uh so in the 90s in my um youngish teenage years i remember hearing deal with god on the local pop toronto pop radio station but I don't remember it with Kate Bush's voice. 
And I'm wondering if there was a popular cover yes. version that would have come out at that time, um, or if I'm just misremembering how it sounded. Um, Placebo co- has covered it. So okay. a, a few different artists have covered it. The most well-known cover of it is by Placebo. Um, that probably came out in the 90s. Placebo okay. being Two. largely a, a 90s and early 2000s band. 2003. Um, 2003 was that. I 2003. Looked, I looked it wow, up. Wow, so maybe that was later then? Well, I, um, ben, so, but I think it, you're right. It could have been a cover. I think you're right because okay. I had the same feeling when I heard the song. I thought, I know this, but not her voice. And I went and looked up and I listened to that. And I thought, I don't remember this specifically, but if it was on the radio enough, maybe it's just the melody is stuck in there. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that, Ben. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was 1985 was too early for I'm assuming for it to continue to get really heavy airplay in the 90s but but maybe it was still maybe I was listening to enough sort of today's hits yesterday's classics kind of radio maybe. to, to yeah, get that I mean, in but um, especially yeah. in the 90s especially like pre clear channel just dominating everything on the radio you could have a DJ in the in the station yeah. who could sneak into something that they love. Um, yep. Depends if it's a local station or not. Like, I um, I lived in Austin for a while, and KUTX is one of those radio stations that is just like a local indie station where you would have major songs playing, but then every now and then some random song would play that you would be like, oh my god, I haven't heard this in forever, and it's obscure, and it's just because like the DJ that hour right. had a slot for it and was like, yep. why not? Yep. So like, you yeah. never know with, that with radio sense. in the 90s especially yeah well and uh, it probably reveals a little bit of my um interest at the time i i think it was it was cool to listen to 102.1 the edge uh, an alternative rock station oh, yeah. um there was a classic rock station that got played a lot at work um, but i also liked the sort of more poppy uh 99.9 mix fm which was uh, a mix of <laughs> of more poppy sounding music which i'm guessing is where it would have yeah. wound up being in the mix um so yeah okay that's helpful that's a good starting point for me as i dig deeper into this album to just place it in my own sort of head canon uh, yeah because that was like i was like mike i didn't know anything about this album press play in the very first track i was like oh Maybe I do know this. This is a familiar song. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I was going to say too that um, so much of what's important to understand the impact of this album is about understanding the impact of Kate Bush as an artist, both in North America compared to in the UK. Um, Mm. Because in the UK, this album dropped in a pretty like seismic way for the time. I mean, it went to number one it had these hit singles and the singles landed very well in in the Mm. uk especially running Mm. up that hill um and in england kate bush is like elton john's are like all-time favorite artist like a close friend like she she is just a huge deal in the uk um Mm. she hasn't toured since 78 79 i think um and then she went back on tour in 2015 it wasn't even a tour. She played live shows in 2015, played only a handful all at the same location in in London. Um, and those were recorded and released as a live album. And it was almost more like a Broadway show than, uh, than like a concert. Like there was performances. It was very conceptual mm. choreography. Like it was very much a show that mm. was being put on. Um, and those sold out within like 
30 seconds. Um, like her fan base is so huge and rabid, but so much of it is located in England. Um, hmm. And to have her influence sort of bleed into other parts of the world, especially North America, is is kind of what's exciting. Because for people who love her, like me, she she is likely my my favorite musical artist of all time. Mm. Um, I love more or less all of her albums, and she has a lot of them. But for somebody like me, who sort of, um, like when I discovered her, she felt like a secret to me like she felt like something so special and so magical yeah. to me and the older i've gotten and the more i've sort of come to learn about her and just gotten more interested in her the more you find out she's not a secret at all like she's she's just yeah, this yeah. huge like monolithic pop culture figure but in the uk um yeah, and in yeah. the united states she has a big mm -hmm. fan base but it's not the same it also yeah. doesn't help or it doesn't hurt or whatever that she's almost a, a recluse um she very rarely makes public statements she okay. very rarely um gives interviews she is i wouldn't call her a, a, a recluse but she's very very private she lives with her family in the countryside in england wow. um and just kind of raises her kids and makes music here and there i mean she's like doesn't really release too much these days and so when she came out essentially of retirement um and played live shows it was a huge deal because she hadn't been like seen in public in that way in forever so it's it's like part of the myth of her is a lot about like spotting her around here and there and like if you find in, like trying to find interviews with her which i i read some leading up to this around even hounds of love is kind of easy because there's basically like three of them like she just doesn't <laughs> speak to the press that much mm -hmm. especially from this album on um because she got spooked by by the um like by being a famous person and a public wow. figure wow. and she was just treated very poorly as most famous people are and you know we'll, we'll talk a lot about it but i think that the reason i love her so much is that she is a pop artist a person who makes pop music with very little interest in the trappings of that genre like she mm. she is really just drawn to the creation of the music itself and wants to create pop music and has very little interest in sort of being a pop star and that's that's strange it's it's just unusual yeah. um and the more into the sort of late 90s but especially like 2000s um that her albums get she's released i think two albums in the 2000s they're much more um like atmospheric much more sort of like classical almost in a way uh very conceptual albums um and she sort of has like left behind this history that she has in the music in uh, industry of being a pop star because she did that for three albums essentially and was like i hate this mm. i like <laughs> writing music and i like the sounds i can make and i even like playing live shows because i'm also a dancer and so i like to get to dance and plan things and choreograph um but fandom and like being loved by strangers is a very strange concept to me and i yeah. don't like it i'd rather just create my art um wow. and mm. that that idea just fascinates me so that's a lot but but i think that like what's so important to understand about her is that she is um a big deal in 
in England. And especially when this album came out was a big deal in England. And this album Mm. was like highly anticipated. And there was a lot of like mystery around it because there wasn't a lot coming out about it because she built her own studio to record it. Um, and then basically like recorded it in her backyard in the woods. And so there was a lot of like, (laughs) who's she working with? What is it going to sound like? Um, so yeah, it's, it's just something that I, I love about her and something that's so important to know about her is that she, uh, has never fully translated in the States especially, but really just kind of outside of the UK. Um, yeah. That's fascinating. And that's helpful. I, I love that kind of behind the scenes because that was one thing that was missing for me in listening to this and doing a little bit of research was the bigger picture of who is Kate Bush and where did she come from? What was the impact of this album going forward? And that really fills in a lot of the, the gaps there, Brad. Thank you. Where she comes from is so, I mean, there's so much that you could say about this, but the general sort of, um, like, long story short of it is that she became extremely famous at about 17 years old when her first song came out. I mean, her first like single was was dropped, which is Wuthering Heights. And Wuthering Heights is this huge monumental song in UK pop history, Um, Mm -hmm. drops in the 70s. And there's a music video that came out with it, like kind of like before music videos were a thing, where she is in a red dress in the woods doing a dance in the woods. And people would like parody this music video all the time in in uk on like talk shows and like award shows and stuff like that because this song went number one it was a huge deal and she was like 17 years old and was this bright new like ingenue um and so her first album comes out and quickly after she records and releases a second album like within a year and then records and releases a third album like she just wrote so many songs in a year and then recorded three albums very very quickly and they all kind of sound the same um like there are some songs that are great and some that aren't so good but they're all very like baroque pop kind of stuff like they, they kind of remind me of like david bowie if, if anything um and she's definitely like a contemporary of david bowie and um you know but but she was fascinated by dance by modern dance when that was becoming much more of like a thing in the 80s um and she was fascinated in mime so she was just like very interested in um she was very interested in like the performance of the body as an object and went to went to like clown school for a little bit took like dance classes took like mime classes with like the best mime in the world like she's just so interested in this idea of like the body as an artistic object um and it's such a strange sort of personality type to have as a pop artist because she's this brilliant songwriter and such a conceptual thinker and this also very quiet private person who likes to dance and like write and like live by herself um but yeah, her, her story is that she got super famous very young and then really like shied away from that mm-hmm. when she got so famous because she was so famous so young. And the other thing that can happen is that your life goes down the tubes because you've gotten so famous so young. And instead she, after her first two albums, I think, was like, I'm not going to tour anymore. I'm not going to play live shows anymore because this is too much. 
I just want to make my music and like write songs and get better at doing that. Um, so it's like a, a post Beatles beetle in a way. Okay. <laughs> but not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> well, yeah. But I'm glad again you you shed some light on the dancing and the that that side of the art because that explains the music videos to me a little better yeah <laughs> yes because my first thought was oh this is the 80s <laughs> was my yeah. first thought but then to understand her background that makes ton of sense um was it, is that donald sutherland in cloud busting is he in that donald sutherland is in the cloud busting video oh, yeah yeah i was um a really quick aside um uh one of my close friends at work he's a little older than I am. He was born in 69. So he was really big into music in the 80s in his teens. All the prog rock that we talk about, Rush and Genesis and Peter Gabriel and all the new wave. And we've never talked about Kate Bush. So today at lunch, I said, hey, I'm reviewing an album. Dude. Were you into, I mean, you were big into music in the 80s. Were you into uh, Kate Bush, Hounds of Love? He goes, oh, I love Kate Bush. Running up that hill? Man, great video yeah. cloud busting with Donald. So he just starts going at all this stuff and he started again and it's kind of like you said brad it's she's not especially in north america she's not like she's never been a mainstream right. artist or someone that people always go hey you remember this but there's definitely a fan base and definitely there's an impact there that this is a this is like my friend tom he is he's a big music fan and he still goes and sees those 80s artists you know genesis and other th that tour and i knew if anybody's into this he's gonna be um and 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 absolutely it was like right on it so but yeah the, i saw i saw the videos and i was like oh that wow so interpretive dancing but that makes sense it's 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 interesting because this album so hounds of love i think um I, I'm torn between two poles on it where I think it sounds very 80s mm -hmm. and I also think it sounds completely timeless. Yes, And there's different aspects of it that I think slot into kind of both of those categories. I think it's, yeah. it's I mean, I think it is maybe putting Graceland in that category too. I think it is probably the best album made in the 80s. I mean, it's my favorite album, obviously, but I also think just in terms of what she is going for and what she's trying to do yeah. like this album in Graceland stand at, and maybe like remain in light like th there are mm. some albums that were made in the 80s that I think are transcend that 80s style because they're trying to do something radically different and I think I even artists who are radically different like Prince is a great example I was thinking of so many albums in the 80s they're all amazing they sound like they were made in the 80s um, I think Hounds of Love has those has that drum sound at times that can be a little 80s. It's very synthesizer based, but it's not synthesizer based because of the time period. It's really just mm -hmm. Kate Bush finding that sound that comes from that synthesizer being so interesting and like it's it's like a liquid sound that I think she really likes to play with. She was also close friends with with uh, Peter Gabriel, and he used mm -hmm. that instrument. And she was like, "I love his music. I want to kind of take that as well." Um, so like it it feels very eighties, but like um, Ninth Wave, like side B of this album does not sound eighties at all. It sounds like I don't know what. It, it sounds like like Shostakovich or something like that. Like some weird conceptual 
piece, which which it is. And so it's it's sort of like in both camps where it totally fits into this category of like prog pop type stuff, but it's also doing something completely different. And the the whole idea of having one side be pop songs and one side be a totally different album like these albums are not connected yeah. at all yeah and it doesn't serve like streaming services or cds or whatever don't serve this album as well as a record does it was definitely made to be a record because you are meant to stand up and flip over your record to start the side b which is a totally different album than side a which is something that i really love about it that like when you listen to this on spotify or whatever it is and it goes straight from like the train whistle of cloud busting into and dream of sheep it's this really cool transition but you're also like oh right like i'm in a, i'm in a different album now like yeah, it's, yeah. it's so different um which i kind of like i it's interesting to hear you say firmly in the 80s but beyond that because i i think um the, the moment where it dawned on me that this was bigger than just another album from the 80s was when I started hearing both predecessors like Patti Smith, but also yeah. 90s female rockers like Liz Fair and Alanis Morissette um, drawing on her too. That that there's this chain that she's a part of here that that doesn't, it's not just confined to this moment in the eighties when she put this together. Um, it feels, it, it feels broader than that. And like, it's both aware of its past and inspiring yes. what was to follow. Yeah. You can totally pinpoint places where she is drawing from specific influences, obviously. Um, but you can also see like, oh, this is why St. Vincent exists as an artist. Mm, like, yeah. this is kind of why Joanna Newsom exists as an artist. Like, all of these indie pop people from the 2000s, um, especially, are clearly, and, like, have stated as such, like, Kate Bush is a yeah. massive influence on me. Like, anybody especially who is um, particularly, uh, like, a woman, but not necessarily, um, like... Um, Big Boy from Outcast has gone on the record multiple times as saying, like, Running Up That Hill is his favorite song. Oh, wow. Or, like, Hounds of Love is his favorite song, and he, like, loves this album so much. It's one of his all-time favorite albums. Like, anybody who's messing with, like, sound as a texture, mm -hmm. as something that's bringing in, like, samples and texture yeah. and concepts into that texture is very indebted to this album in particular. Um, yeah. And her other albums especially the album right after this and the album right before this, like in this time period, this kind of trio of albums that she makes uh, within a few years of each other, they're all kind of doing the same type of stuff that Hounds of Love is doing, but none of them are doing it as like precisely as this album kind of does it. But you can just tell exactly like you're saying that you can hear so many contemporary artists in this album. And you can also point to like you're saying moments in this album and be like, oh, I hear where she clearly liked this Patty, Patty yeah. Smith song or whatever it is, yeah, yeah. Um, which I love. I love anything that's like a linchpin in between yeah. two times and clearly is influenced and influencing. Um, it's so cool to kind of see that in like a, like a macro scope. And maybe with the eighties revival of the last decade or so, like it's almost harder to place this album now, even though I think 15 years ago it would have been very easy to say, Oh yeah, this is definitely an eighties sound. Mm. So much of that eighties sound is being borrowed today, sampling and 
synth work and, oh, yeah. and even that kind of weird sounding snare gets gets hauled out into some of these albums uh that are coming out right now too so yeah, yeah. i'm really fascinated to see how our some of our reflections uh at, when it comes time to to talk about relevancy and uh um yeah conclusions <laughs> will be really interesting to to get there but i'm skipping ahead <laughs> that that's okay um, before we get yeah. too much into the music which i'm interested in i i really enjoy talking about the album cover art and this is this is a, a neat photo um i mean a little on the nose <laughs> she's lying down with uh with two hounds or at least dogs yeah. but they i think they're hounds with her hair i almost expect there to be writing in her hair you know how you can write with your hair when it's out there but it's oh, it's right. very it's 80s but it's also very artistic very you know you get that kind of dance background from it and this light purple uh, almost like a wash that's throughout the background or whatever she's laying on her dress her makeup um and then it's one of those albums that the the picture is kind of cropped in the center and then uh almost script very small kate bush in the top right hounds of love in the bottom left and again in that purple color so it's a very very soft uh image very soft feel very gentle um, it almost has like a slightly out of focus '90s glamour shot to it as well. <laughs> glamour like, shots. Yeah. I forgot about glamour shots, Ben. Thanks for bringing that back. It's, That's it's good. very gauzy. It's it's very gauzy, and yeah. I, and, and I think that it, yeah. it it very intentionally um, is setting the mood of this album, which is both very romantic. It's an incredibly romantic album, especially in the first side um, for a number of like romantic not even just personally romantic but like for nature for um for people for the sky like it's it's very much an album that is in love with so much of the world and then also it's very dreamlike album cover as well it's it's got this gauziness to it that seems slightly dreamlike that seems slightly like hazed over um yeah i just love it they are her dogs, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. So, oh, that's uh, great. Good, good, good choices for some hounds there. And um, <laughs> if you do a, a Google search, there's an article published uh, by Vintage News Daily um, not too long ago that's got a bunch of uh, Polaroids and outtakes from that same photo shoot. Lots oh. of different, like, yeah. one where the dogs are kind of both kissing her cheek. Somewhere she's smiling. It's more, like, upbeat and happy. Uh, some sort of outtake shots where like the dog's paws on her face or she's like having to swat something away it's kind of funny to see the whole like scope of what could have been to like land on this gauzy as you said brad uh, final choice is, is really fascinating i had to google that term and you guys both said it <laughs> brad said, yeah brad said it and ben goes oh yeah gauzy and i'm sitting here going what <laughs> oh yeah that's the thing <laughs> you, you could have played it off so cool there's no point oh yeah yeah there's totally. point. yeah i don't do that anymore i used to do that it didn't get me anywhere so you had kids and all that oh, changed so. and then and then they became teens and preteens, and now they tell me what i don't know so they'll tell you all about gauzy just ask them okay i'll ask um you want you guys want to move into the music sure um I don't even know where to start, and I don't think we have the time to go track by track, although I'm sure we could. 
Um, oh, we got to go track by track. At least on the, at least inside. <laughs> okay, a. okay, okay. At least on side. Um, <laughs> running up that hill, uh, I'll kick us off, and then and then you can. I'm sure Brad, you can run with it. Pun intended. Um, yep. Uh, that synth sound and, and this we talked about it, and she used the Fairlight uh, yep. synthesizer, um, which I think the first version of it was '79, so it's been around for a while. But she uses this instrument so well through the album. She's really—I don't want to say she's a pioneer because I don't know if I can say that with any authority, but she certainly uses it very well uh, and and can virtually create any type of sound with it. But that sa- that opening sound that oh man it's so unique and y- there's certain songs where you could hear it anywhere in in the background through the crowd and go yeah i know that yep that sound that's right. that's running up that hill so to me uh there are a lot of albums where you know there's 10 or 12 tracks and there's a bunch of really good ones, but there's only one that should be the lead track. And this is like, mm-hmm. there's no other song on this album to me that, that should be the lead track. This is just nails it um, in terms of, I think a lead track should really paint a picture of what the album's gonna be and really be an introduction to what you're gonna hear. Um, and I think this does that. I think there's other songs that could do it here, but I think this does it just so well. Anyways, that's me. Um, I'm turning it over to you, Brad. <laughs> this, this is, this is a, a dynamite track. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a perfect song. Uh, um, yeah, it's great. I mean, even, even if this was not my favorite album of all time and I didn't love every single one of these songs, <laughs> th- this song is just und- undeniable. And I think that, it, um, you know, it's her biggest hit just as an artist, mm-hmm. like I, uh, in UK, maybe not, but, but like definitely in the U S it's, it's always been her biggest hit. Um, and it, it's so unique in its creation and what it sounds like and its structure, its structure is wild. I just love any song and this one does it amazingly that builds up to a climax, um, and then sort of like drifts away shortly after that climax. Like it it leaves you on a high and this Mm. song does that so well where it builds up and builds up over and over again until you get this like glass shattering part in the song that where the drums do basically like a Phil Collins drum roll like in the air tonight like it's basically the same <laughs> drum roll as in the air tonight it's like doo 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 um and it 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 bursts and the whole like t- the tension of the entire song completely bursts and it's so satisfying and you're completely right that that so it's it's a cello patch so it's like a cello sound that she has like manipulated um and there's a lot of that in this album where she finds one like sample that is pre-built into the synthesizer but it isn't exactly what she's looking for and so she sort of like gets in there and like reconfigures it to make it sound like what it sounds like in her head which is which makes her a pioneer in that way like this is like this is an instrument that that peter gabriel made famous on his early albums just because it's like what he built his sound around and she he introduced her to it and was like you should use this and she really liked how it sounded but she's much more interested in sort of the, the like array of sounds that are available on this instrument and the array of like techniques that are available than she is in what like the standard 
sound of the instrument itself. Like she's like, oh, I can do a lot with this. Not I like how this sounds on its own. Um, and I just love that. It's it's so experimental how she's sort of attacking this song and this album in general. Um, but yeah, this song is amazing. And it's also like such a good idea for a song um, and just like very empathetic and, and just very much in line with sort of what she comes back to again and again in her music, which is just like trying to find an understanding between people and using like love as a key for that empathetic understanding between people, um, which is this very like lofty goal. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's a perfect song. It's a work of art. <laughs> I, I think it, it's a really good table setter too. Um, I'm in, I'm yeah. embarrassed to admit this, but Baroque pop was not a, a term or Baroque rock was not a term that I was, I was aware of that term, but didn't really fully understand what it meant until somewhat recently in my adult life, uh, which yeah. is embarrassing for a number of reasons because a lot of my favorite music would fall into that category. But I think this, this song um reminds the listener that she is making a rock album or a pop album but it's not going to sound like the traditional um drums bass guitar driven music that you might accept expect for an album like this um i i don't know that there's much guitar work at all on this on this album and yet it's got a crunching driving powerful force that feels very pop rock Um, but so much of it is shaped with um intentional synthesizer work to to mimic orchestration and this song does that it it sets the table it just lays it all out that this is going to be a little bit different uh we hope you enjoy it because there's gonna and and it gets a lot wilder from here too this is this is relatively Tame is the wrong word, but subdued maybe for just how deep she dives into different kinds of genres throughout this album. The music video for this song, though, is incredible. Um, it's she worked with Martha Graham, who's uh, a big modern dance choreography and and sort of like brought modern dance as an art form to something closer to like the mainstream. Um, and so she, Kate Bush, became very interested in modern dance around this time especially like early to mid 80s and the um the music video for this is just her and a and a man performing a choreographed modern dance piece essentially to this music in this like pink purple space wearing grayish purple (laughs) outfits um and it's very like artistic like i i don't know a better way of of saying it and i think that that word can really be thrown around as this like oh it's so artistic but i genuinely like i genuinely love that she is somebody who will who will create art because it moves her and because Mm -hmm. creating art is a is like it's like a noble profession to do creating art is a noble thing to do and she firmly believes that and pursues creating art at all costs and and is not interested in like what if I look weird? What if it's like a goofy looking kind of a thing? What if it sounds weird? She's like, this is something that that moves me and that I think will move other people. Um, yeah. And so I, I just love to see that. Anybody who who is like 
a pure artist in that way really moves me because I think that's a really hard thing to, to be and to do in, in the modern world where there's so much that has been built in in the past 30, uh, like 40 years that is like yeah. sarcastic against art or has like a biting edge to it. I think that in the 90s, especially, it was like not cool to be a sincere person and it hasn't really been cool ever since then. And so I think to have anybody who's making art and is like, this is genuinely, I'm not right. like, I'm not kidding around here. Yeah. Not that I don't have a sense of humor, but like yeah. I'm making art because it, it moves me. Um, I just love that. It's very intentionally produced without being overproduced. Right. Um, you could, yeah. you can tell similar to, I don't know why it makes me think of this because they're very, very different, but um, uh, Bruce Springsteen's born to run album, you know, that he mm. took like two years because he, he just couldn't quite capture the sound in his head. You can tell she is very intentionally thinking through how each song is structured, phased, um, layered, all of that. Uh, just yeah, I, I like that. Uh, it's intentional art, but there's there's just an intentional depth too to uh, to what she's trying to do. I I actually think that Bruce Springsteen, especially early Bruce, is a pretty good parallel, honestly. Um, and and there's so much that is not alike in in these two people and these two sort of albums. Um, but but Born to Run is another album that's like achingly sincere mm -hmm. and yeah, is yeah. very is like very Raw. much rooted yeah very yeah. much like rooted in storytelling yep. and it's like i am going to tell a story the way that i hear it in my head and if it connects with you fantastic and i think the thing about bruce springsteen's career is that he's been around for so long and has produced so much that he's almost become unintentionally a, a parody of himself and i don't mean that in a bad way but he's just yeah. become so iconic yeah. that like the icon bruce springsteen has become more important than like the the art itself in a way um but especially like that time period bruce where he is trying to make a name for himself and becoming so big so quickly is not a bad parallel where i, where I think he's like this is the kind of music i want to make and i'm going to make it how i want to make it because i think that it's important um and i love i love seeing that we can't take 15 minutes yeah, for every time, track. Time. <laughs> no, but Running Up That Hill is an important song. Yeah. The next track, the next track is Hounds of Love. This yeah. song is also a perfect song. Uh, <laughs> the, the orchestration on this song is unbelievable. The drums are so good. It also does the same move where it builds into this climax um, and just explodes on, on impact when it reaches that climax. I yeah. always think of this song as being like 90 seconds long it is a full length totally normal length mm -hmm. kind of track but for some reason in my head i'm like oh right track two is is like a shorter one Be and i think it's just because it, it's dry it just drives like that song just yeah. goes Pacing. it opens with the sample yeah. opens with like the drums just coming in it never really stops she starts to sing right away um it's so romantic as a song like i find that that i find it so like swooning as a track mm -hmm. that it, it like picks me up a lot when I listen to it. Um, what do you guys think of Hounds of Love the song? But <laughs> uh, when she goes um, at, at the beginning, does that, yeah. is that supposed to parody barking? There are times oh, yes. when I listen yes. to it and it's it a, 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 or that hound, <laughs> like not, it's like, 
a little bit, and I thought that was clever because that would tread a very thin line of being ridiculous and corny, and and it's <laughs> not. Oh, it, it's like, so good. Though. It fits very yeah. well. <laughs> I think that the either it's a true story or it's a myth, but. The story behind that is that she brought in her dogs to to grab a sample of them oh. for that sound. Couldn't couldn't get a good sample, right. and so just like did it herself. I don't know if that's a true story, uh. but that's what people say about that song. I could see it being true. Yeah, I, I, but yeah, it's I, it's meant to imitate barks. You you sold me on it. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm on board. It's definitely true. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Um, no, I I like it. Um, I I want to talk really quick before I move on to the next track. I forget where they all are, but um, I love the samples of uh, atmospheric and everyday sounds throughout this album. You get these moments. You mentioned at the end of Cloud Busting, the train coming into the station. And it kind of, at first you don't realize it's not um, musical instruments. And there's, there's, you talked about glass breaking, uh, mm-hmm. at one point there's, I wrote down a couple other, uh, there's birds, there's a sonar somewhere and there's different men's voices, all these different regular, it's just to me, part of the things that make this, we talked about how it's, it's romantic and it's, it's really a, a more of a woman's perspective on, uh, a conveyance of pop music and you get mm. it. I to me, it makes it more accessible. Not only is it is it experimental and a little uh, outside, and gives depth to the music, but it makes it accessible too. Because those are all sounds mm. that we all know what they are, and it's yeah. not just kind of like, well, we put in broken glass because it's just it was fun. No, it like really fits with the music and with the lyrics at the time. So um, I just wanted to yeah throw that out there before we got too far, and I forgot. S- so a big thing that that she's talked about with this album is that she, like I said, she she built a studio, um, like behind her house, right, in, in order to create this album. Essentially, like she, um, when her fourth album didn't do as well as she wanted, she was basically like, "I'm just going to produce my own stuff from now on, and I want to make it exactly how I want to make it." Um, and she had like financial stability enough to do that, mm-hmm. and like. Ha- could could do that so she built her own studio in the woods and basically spent years making this album um and has said repeatedly that that this is an album that is like in love with the natural world right and she wrote a lot of this album out in the woods whether in the actual woods behind her house or like in her studio overlooking that space but you can see from her studio like hills off in the distance and you can see big clouds um the um big sky on this album is just about like watching clouds go over Mm. and there's so many moments that are just about like controlling the rain and the weather which is what cloud busting is about she's she's just obsessed repeatedly especially inside a but but inside b as well with sort of like how the natural world affects us and how how it like makes us fall in love with ourselves each other and the world itself um, and so, yeah, I, I, you can tell how much she wanted to bring sounds from the outside world into this album. You can also kind of tell, in my opinion, that she's just kind of like 
having a good time with a new toy because like <laughs> yeah. the fair light was also a sampler which was a new thing at the time especially right. yeah and she's like if i can do this why not and so she's kind of yeah. throwing like samples in there and i think she's just having fun with it um and cloud busting um i was i was just reading about this i didn't know this but the whole reason it ends with the train is because they didn't have an ending like it kind of just like petered out and you can kind of tell when you know that you can tell when you listen back to it you're like yeah it doesn't really it only ends because a train comes in <laughs> like it's yeah. kind of just the same thing over and over again with the strings and the drums and the strings are so great and but it's not like building to an ending it kind of yeah. just like kind of just ends and it only really works because she was like we don't really have an ending how about i don't know like a train sound and they kind of just like put it in but it works so well oh, because it great. feels like a train is like taking you out of side a like it yeah. feels like a train is like leaving the station and taking you out of this um like the song isn't about trains it just kind of is in there because it they needed something but it works great it works it works i i i, I don't know if this is a good thing to admit but i really like the more poppier side one um yeah and and it does a lot more for me than side two but even amid the more poppy attempt there's still a depth and an intimacy here that i think some of the sound effects uh the authentic uh raw lyrics and this the sort of energy in her voice um makes it a little bit deeper than most pop pop music um i really like cloud busting I, but really that whole side i i, yeah. I really like these these first five songs and maybe a question for those of us who are new to Kate Bush, has she ever tried to just focus in on that more radio friendly sound on an entire album? Or is this like her dabbling with that to get it out of the way so that she can be more artistic with the rest of her <laughs> kind of canon? <laughs> no, I, I think that what makes this album so interesting is that side A kind of sounds like her first four albums um mm. and you know the album right before this is the dreaming and that's her first album of like trying more experimentation so that one's a little bit more experimental um, but especially her first three albums none of them are as good as side a but like they are definitely pop albums like she is a pop okay. artist and side b matches much more in line with sort of like post hounds of love kate bush wow um so you can sort of see Dividing you know line. and this is like dylan's uh electric yeah. phase <laughs> yeah, yeah it's not exactly it actually kind of is a little bit like that so it's not like everything sounds like side b after this but um but it's definitely more conceptual more experimental yeah. um and mm. um yeah i i think i totally agree i think cloud busting is like her her masterpiece as as an artist um i don't even know if it fits my favorite kate bush song but that's just because i love her so much that like I think I have slightly more obscure tracks that just mean more to me. But in terms mm -hmm. of like her songwriting, I think Cloud, Cloud Busting does everything perfectly that she does so well in general, which is like storytelling. It's like emotionally structured storytelling and like yep. oral experimentation. Like she's just doing so much experimentation in that song. The songwriting is beautiful. The strings on that song are produced so beautifully. Um, and the storytelling itself is that very specific Kate Bush mixture of like a little obscure and historical. Like she, it's just a song that's basically based on a book that she read 
about this guy who was a scientist and like she doesn't really explain that she just kind of is like giving you a story that you don't really know what she's talking about but it doesn't really matter like i didn't really read what this song was about for years and i was just like this song is a masterpiece and then eventually wow. i was like well, what's this song about and i was like oh interesting and it didn't really change how i thought about the song i was like i don't really know what this song's about but i love it yeah i side a is totally different i i am kind of interested in hearing what what your favorite song on side a is for you it's cloud busting you said yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think i'd have to agree um running up that hill is is amazing cloud busting there's something there's something about it, it it's that push that pulse too yeah without yes. like without uh you know a drum machine uh or you know something like with you know big sky or run up that hill it's just got this intensity to it with the strings that to me is uh it's organic and refreshing um and when i organic i don't mean acoustic i mean it's it's that's some of the first instruments right string instruments and violin like instruments and it we talk about baroque pop and all that stuff to me it, it harkens back yeah. to that I, I it's a special song i it took me a few listens but uh it really grew on me i find some those are some of my favorite songs the ones that i didn't love right away but then kind of build and you really understand them um it's a beautiful tune great song yeah, I, you know, and this will transition us nicely to to the ninth wave because that's exactly my my relationship to to side B on this album, which mm. um, which I love every single thing about. Definitely took me years of listening to this album to really click into it. I think, and the reason I clicked into it is reading about it, which okay. is like mm. shouldn't like there are so many pieces of it that I was like oh this is great like jig of life is like such a cool track um like there's so many pieces of it that i like um watching you without me is is i think this beautiful love song that's heartbreaking and incredible um but but like very few of these tracks work on their own like they're not meant to be singles they it is very conceptual and i think like once i sat down with it and spent time like almost like homework which i think could be a bad thing but but i kind of like loved it where i was like i i'm very interested in why this moves me so much as a piece as like a collection of music without really know what's going on and then once you realize that it's just a woman who's by herself drowning in the ocean and waiting for somebody to rescue her like that that's what that's what that side is it's it's a woman who's fallen overboard in the middle of the night and only has a life preserver and is floating in the ocean waiting to be rescued and found and trying not to drown and so she's like she's trying not to fall asleep is a big part of it because she knows if i fall asleep i'm gonna die and so there's all these moments in the first part of the ninth wave that are her trying not to fall asleep and there are sheep coming and she's like but they're so warm all i want to do is fall asleep and then you have a chorus of people telling her like you have to to like wake up like you have to wake up and those people are like in real life her sister or her brothers her mother her producer like it's it's these people who, who are like family members to her essentially um and it it's so it's very personal and and um you know she sees herself caught under the ice in like a frozen lake she um is put on trial for like witchcraft which is like 
the craziest so- song on the album. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and then, and then eventually she, uh, gosh, watching you without me, that is her as essentially a ghost in the walls of her home, <laughs> watching her lover, waiting for her to come back home and getting worried that she's not home yet. And like not able to speak to that person. And, you know, essentially like a love song from the point of view of, of what is essentially a ghost um, is just heartbreaking. And then going to her like floating in space above planet Earth, watching Earth from space and commenting on it. And then like finally being like um, rescued at the end or possibly not. Like it's there's just so much that's going on that is, you know, she wrote it with the idea that it was like a cinematic piece of music and has said like, I wanted to write a movie. This is the closest thing to a movie that I could write. She said she wrote writing up that hill hounds of love and and dream of sheep as the first three songs on the album and and like writing those songs were what clicked in place for her as like oh here is what the album is it's pop songs <laughs> and also this idea that i have of a woman who's trying not to fall asleep while she's drowning in the ocean um wow. <laughs> and so like i i just think for me it, it's such a challenging piece of music but it's a challenging piece of music that i think is never in my opinion, at least, is never overly challenging. Waking the Witch maybe is the song that's like the most challenged, like the hardest to like listen to because it's just chaotic on, on purpose, but it's a very chaotic track. But besides that, it's not like the music is hard to listen to. You're not like, oh, I, I hate this, but you are kind of like, what's going on here? Like I can tell that something is like a story is happening. Something is happening here, but what's happening? And I think if you dedicate it dedicates the wrong word but if you like give yourself into it a little bit um and see it more as like a cinematic piece of music it's i don't know i just love it so much um, <laughs> i think it's one of the it's one of the most like original pieces of music I, i've ever heard and especially the most original pieces of music made in like modern pop history um like i just think how 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 it was created and conceived is like legitimately a work of art as much as if as much as it's a work of music which can be a barrier and and was a barrier for me for a long time um but i kind of love that she's like okay side a is a kate bush album and it's pop music (laughs) and you're gonna like love it it's like the best pop songs i've ever written and then side b is like something entirely different that i've never done before that you've never really heard and that you're gonna have to like spend time to really understand what i'm trying to do and that's what it's gonna be and either you're gonna like it or you're not gonna like it um i I love it's like such a brave thing to do i feel like absolutely it and it's interesting to hear you say it's the most original piece of music ever written that's saying something coming it's not what i said it's not what i said i think it's one of the most (laughs) Oh, I was going to say, no, 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 it's, uh, no, I, I'm not, I'm not going to hold you to it, but it's just interesting coming from the guy who wanted to talk to us about Trout Mask Replica as well. So Yeah, <laughs> which might be, which might be the most the original most, pop album ever um, made, I would say. So experimental on side B. Um, I, I always say, you know, there, there are songs and albums that require something of you as the listener and there are albums that don't yes. require much or easy to throw on this is unique because it does both and i think yep. you're right yep. between side a and b side a is pretty easy to get into side b if you want to 
really immerse, you can. Um, uh, I want to I as a I'm, I'm a very amateur musician, but if I had to only pick one instrument to play ever, it would be the bass guitar. I love playing electric bass. I love the bass on the Big Sky. Um, she got a guest. Yeah. Mus- she got a guest musician in uh, Martin Glover, also known as Youth. I don't know this guy, but that um, <laughs> the uh, it's like he's using a pick, and it's just a very like crunchy, growly kind of bass, almost punk esque, but with uh, like. 16th notes um it's a nice touch i think that's the most 80s pop sounding song on the album Mm. uh i don't know brad if you would agree with that or not but that to me fits into that very well um yeah yeah. uh, but it's still it's still very much kate bush i think the most 80s track is definitely jig of life (laughs) just kidding (laughs) the least 80s track (laughs) Well, it's, um, but it's it's weird. Like it's weird. It's a weird juxtaposition of those sounds, which is very yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I, it's interesting. The reference that we made early on in listening to this on Spotify gives you a different experience. I would have assumed that the pivot to side B was between track seven and eight because yeah. that transition from under ice to waking the mm. witch is so powerful starting yep. with the sort of whispered shout of wake up, wake up. I, I don't know it just it like jolts me every time i i i hear that song and that track in general number eight is is dark kind of a uh i don't know 80 it seems like it would have fit well with an 80s fantasy film or something like that um, yeah there's, there's a tone there that, that really does shift from anything you've experienced on the album poppy or not up to that point um when that song hits yeah i agree i actually think waking the witch sounds like a genesis song or like a rush mm. song. like that song is is yeah. kind of of that prog rock oh yeah thing um it's probably my least favorite song on the album but but you know that's her going like fully off board and it, it's the woman in the ocean has basically lost consciousness and in her yep. dream is on trial for witchcraft and has to convince this person to let her like to like let her live because the idea is that obviously if, if you're a witch if you drown then you're not a witch and if you don't drown then you are a witch and this is a woman who's trying not to drown but needs to convince this person that she's not a witch. Um, so, you know, it's it's very conceptual and, and very, like, it's very scary in a way. Um, I, I think that it captures that feeling of being terrified that you're about to be killed and you're about to die. It, like, it's scary on purpose. Um, yeah, yeah. And I just love that. Um, like, I think that this... I. <laughs> You can tell that the ninth wave, I think, is written and created by somebody who is very like theatrical and loves performance as an art um, yep. because there's all different people and voices in there, and she's she's playing a character throughout this whole side, um, and she's imbuing so much of sort of her like emotional state into these characters like you kind of get the feeling that she would make a great actress like she's she's just performing so well and i think that you could be somebody who is very like self-conscious as a musician where you don't want to like 
be corny or be cheesy. And I think if you did this halfway and kind of just like performed, it would come off as corny and cheesy. Um, like Randy Newman has has this album that's that's um, Faust. That's like his version of of Faust. And on that album, there are different musicians who play different characters, and they're speaking and talking, and it's a lot of like fun. But you can tell that they're kind of like laughing at themselves while they're doing it. Like they're like, oh, isn't it like kind of like goofy that I'm like playing this character? And I think Kate Bush is like, this isn't funny. Like this is like <laughs> this is very seriously about a woman who is going to die, and she's terrified that she's going to die, and you will be immersed in that. Um, and you know, when she's rescued at the end, you will feel like love and relief. And when she's saying when the album is over, like oh my god i love everything so much more now like i've almost died i have died and i've come back i appreciate everything so much more now i appreciate life like i'm so much more appreciative of everything it's this like religious moment almost where she she has an epiphany and you really like feel that epiphany because kate bush is not self-conscious about it she's like no i am this character and i am feeling this epiphany um and i love that about it she's so like she's just like very extra and you can tell her being extra in like everything she does, which I, I kind of love. Well, we all we all benefit from it. <laughs> yeah, yes, right, exactly. Um, yeah, from her like, exposing herself like that. Okay, Brad. Um, uh, so, favorite tracks, real quick, uh, on our playlist. What two tracks should we put up for you? Uh, I think cloud busting for sure, especially because we all kind of agree it's masterpiece um i mean i yeah. would put cloud busting and running up that hill if you can make space for two only because sure. running up that we hill is like for sure. the important is like the important kate bush song um especially because yeah. there's only one album on this rs 500 so i would definitely put running up that hill but i think cloud busting is like the the peak of her of her work in a lot of ways perfect for sure they're they're added there for you we we touched briefly, Brad, about how how much of these sounds are coming back into popularity. So much pop music right now has these eighty synth sounds, the drum sounds, mm. the the structures, and a lot of the sounds. Um, how do you feel? I don't want to say how do you feel about that because that's pretty broad. But but um, in terms of the journey between this album people being influenced and then stuff coming out that sounds like this album as opposed to just so it inspired me to make my music um do you do you hear that uh on the radio today or when you hear you know pop stuff and hear this stuff do you hear that and go wow yeah that i hear that or is it not as uh, obvious to you no i mean pop pop music is so different <clears throat> now and the, you know the biggest thing is that pop music now which i feel like we talked about maybe last time i was on but um it's just so influenced by r&b and hip-hop and, yeah. and hip-hop especially but which i think has just been a boon in 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 so many ways to like artistic creation and that genre has gone so many different directions but definitely like just the shape of pop has changed so much that you really have like indie rock or like like ultra artists like avant-garde pop artists almost that are taking from this and taking from what Kate Bush was an, as an artist like FKA Twigs is a great example of this of an artist who is also a dancer and 
the music she makes is very entwined with the choreography that she does and that's very intentional as well um but definitely people who are very like invested in sound experimentation in the structure of a pop model which you're not really going to see in in like radio pop i I, in my opinion anymore but i also don't listen to the radio much anymore (laughs) that's fair (laughs) so Um. I, I don't I like you Brad I don't listen to a ton of radio but I, I do listen to some and certainly the, my kids now are old enough that they want to listen to pop like modern pop radio not not our pop <laughs> radio modern pop um, so I hear some of the new stuff and I do I gotta be honest I do hear a lot of a lot of these sounds is it exactly this Kate Bush album no it's not and you're right, right. pop music is permeated with with the hip hop genre and the things, the wonderful things that have come out of that massive genre that has uh, changed and evolved over the last 40 years. Yes, exactly. But I hear a lot of things. The only thing for me that might not translate as much is, is the vocalization. Um, She sings with a very open mouth, which she has a beautiful voice and, and I love the way she sings. But to me, it reminds me of some of the other pop female vocalists of, of the, decade oh like an annie lennox or um or, or uh enya um even cindy lopper at times uh and there was kind of that sound of more of an open mouth a different a, 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 a more open vibrato hmm. which everything now is is a little more nasally a little tighter um in the mouth um they sing out of the side of their mouth a little more. Uh, you get more of the uh, lateral S's today, which is very trendy. Um, not not like a, a lateral list, but like you'll you'll hear it. You'll hear ying ying kind of stuff um, in the way that they pronounce words in, in female pop vocalists in the last five years. Um, not this very operatic almost vocalization of the eighties. To me, that's the one thing that. I think is most dated. Even the synth sounds like 10 years ago, I would have said, Oh, it's so dated today. Not so much because yeah. it's yeah. like, you hear that everywhere. You know, we, we talked, I think recently uh, Coldplay just released an album the end of last year and it's full of this stuff. You know, they're one of the biggest bands out there right now. Um, and lots of other pop and indie pop that are doing this. So um, I, I, I think it's very, I think it's very, very relevant mm. today. Wow, Mike, you've got the uh, the snare drum hang up and the um, mouth shape of female artists that uh, really does get to some no, niche. No, no, it's not a hang up. I'm just saying it's it's just like listening to, you know, uh, like for love forever changes. You know, I I I love that album. Ben Ben got me that album for on vinyl for Christmas, and I've listened to it a ton. But I know exactly what year it's from. Like yes. it is just so set in that time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's bad, but it doesn't necessarily translate. There's a yeah. lot of this album that does translate. I'm yeah, just saying yeah, there's right, yeah. that maybe doesn't. I'm not yeah. saying I don't like it. It's not a hang up. I'll twist I my found, words. <laughs> <laughs> I found myself bouncing back and forth as I listened to this between and I mean this is the way we started this episode. So it's just reiterating that that it sounds really firmly in the 80s and also like it could have come out yesterday. And um, 
So relevancy, like I, you know, this is a tricky question and maybe we need to replace it with something else anyway, because music is so subjective. Relevancy yeah. depends on the person listening. Yes. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think this feels more timeless perhaps because of what music has come out lately than I would have assumed maybe if we'd reviewed it 10 years ago, something like that. So, yep. um, Yeah. So this is, so we like to ask, you know, what we think about the ranking. This is number 68. Of course, uh, it wasn't on any previous. (laughs) Okay. Is that, we just, I can stop asking the question, (laughs) Uh, but this, this wasn't on any previous iteration of this list at all. And now it, it comes in debuts on the list for the first time on number 68. Obviously you, you, you know, you've said that you're ecstatic that it's on here at all, that it's top 75 is amazing, but, um, you you really feel that it stacks up with some of the great albums of all time, like the you know the Sergeant Peppers, the, the um, Pet Sounds, uh, what's going on, you know all that stuff. I mean, in, in my opinion, yeah, I I think it's I think um, I don't remember who said it earlier, but I think she she is by, by her own admission too very much like a feminine artist in the way in like the spirit of like making like feminine art and i think having her perspective that just like having her perspective on on a list like this is incredibly important obviously she's not the only artist who's approaching like who's approaching music in that way consciously but um i think the experimentation that's done on this album while still making it something that is pop and listenable and like digestible is definitely stacks up. I mean, for me, like I said, just having it on this list is like a no brainer because it not, not only because I think it's amazing, but because um, especially in the past 15, 20 years, it's become like a a very iconic album and it was already sort of like a cult iconic album. And now it's just become like, an incredibly important iconic album. Mm-hmm. So to go from not even in the top 500 to eight years later in the top 75 makes total sense to me because that's our, that's Rolling Stone being like, we need to correct this because this yes. album has just had like a resurgence in popularity in the conversation and the cultural, like, uh, like iconography. And so we need to have this represented. I would personally put it higher, but I think it's actually really well situated on this list for, hmm. um, for like what this magazine is trying to do. I'm shocked that it's as high as it is. So that it's the one new edition that I think I'm most thrilled about for sure. Brad, you're right. Uh, does it, yeah, I, I agree. It stacks, it could stack up with some of those, but it's so hard to separate, mm-hmm. you know, the album that you love with, well, is it really the yes. best? Right. Even though I love it the most. Um, but Ben, let, let's turn over to you and, and I'll weigh in here too. What What do you think for this ranking? Because you and I are in a similar place here where we're not really familiar with this music or this artist. Yeah. yeah. So to hear it for the first time and, and see that it's place number 68 on the, the, you know, the best albums of all time. How, how do you feel after listening to it and hearing, you know, we've, we've, we've learned a lot from you, Brad. Um, what do you think, Ben? We've had music on this list that I've needed someone to explain why it's great because it doesn't immediately grab me as such. This feels powerful and great um, to me personally without needing, even even though Brad's voice tonight has, has 
deepened my appreciation and taught me so much more about this album. I think I was already getting that vibe just listening to it on my own. And so I'm not surprised that it's here. Um, it's outside of my sweet spot. So I'm curious if I will feel compelled to return to it. But I feel like this is what, another one of those albums that I think I'm only going to appreciate even more the more time that I give to it. There seems like a whole lot there that I could dig deeper with. And um, for that reason, uh, I think I think it's well-deserving to have it here. Um, and and <laughs> who knows, maybe the more time I spend with it. Uh, fascinating, Brad, to hear you say that you know, reading about the album has boosted it up in your, in your uh, own rankings and uh, maybe just more time will, will mean, I also feel like it needs to be up near the top uh, in a couple of years. I, I, I don't know. Yes. But right now this feels appropriate. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And, and Brad, you said earlier um, is actually quite fitting where it is. I think that, you know, almost two years ago when they polled, artists if the artists who are making music today are the ones who voted because this is what's influencing them and we're hearing that in the music then then this makes sense especially from not being on the list before i i think it makes sense and one thing this list does very well is have a good yes there's a there's a huge um influx of of you know hip-hop of of female artists more african-american artists uh more diversity uh, in, in even in the top hundred, but on the whole list, but I think a better diversity in general, mm-hmm. and even from you know we talked about like kind of minority groups, but but now you know a British woman, not necessarily a minority group, but I think still underrepresented on the previous lists, and definitely a big part of this sound and the sound that came from it. So yeah, I'm I'm okay. I was surprised at first just because I didn't know it, but but now you know definitely listening to it, reading about it and that and hearing you talk about it, Brad has been, yeah, I I like it here. It makes sense. Um, and as you mentioned, Brad, this is unfortunately the only time, uh, that she appears on the list, but we're, we're glad she's here. Um, there's no other albums by Kate Bush on the list. You've talked about many of her other albums and some, at least singles from some were did very well in the UK, but this is it, uh, for this one. Brad, it's been a, a pleasure as usual to to have this conversation. If people want to follow all the different things that you're up to these days. Uh, where can we find you? Or is there anything you want to plug? Sure. Um, I run a journal, uh, run an online journal about movies. I publish. I don't write anything. Uh, I sometimes write something. But um, it's called <laughs> Wigwag, and it's an online journal about movies uh, where people write personal essays about movies. So it's all, it's all essays. Um, And you can follow wigwag mag. It's on Twitter. That's where I basically exist at these days. Um, (laughs) And yeah, that's it. Writing about movies. And the RS 500 is still up. So you can read those essays. The RS 500.com. I still pay for it. And you know what? <laughs> I'll keep on paying for it as long as you two keep reading it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, I'll awesome. read it. Um, well, that is. It's another one. Another, another one down. Um, we've got another uh, trend-setting solo female artist coming up next week for album number 69. Uh, 
and a fellow Canadian. Ben, who we got coming up next? Yeah, we get to increase our CanCon, our Canadian content, just a little bit. Um, we are uh, visiting Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette, uh, an album that was on the first original RS500 list, was dropped in 2012. Um, so one lovely side effect, in, in addition to um, getting to discover Kate Bush, is that we also get to return to Alanis Morissette on this list. So we're excited to do that. Absolutely. Until that time, we hope you continue to be well. We hope that you take care of yourselves and those who are close to you. And we certainly hope you join us next time right here on the SoundLogic Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.